And Oladipo wants it again. Approaching two minutes to play. With the left hand and authority. He will give it to Donald Brown. Donald fights his way. Now balls loose. Luck picks it up. And Luck scores. Andrew picked up the fumble and scores. Oladipo to win it. Another one. He got Another it. Another one. Another Oladipo. one. Victor Oladipo has given the Pacers a one-point lead. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. I am your host, Sam Seclair, and of course, joined with me is co-host Jake Elrod. Jake, how you doing today, man? Great, Sam. How you doing? Good. Of course, the Colts preseason just ha- has officially ended, and Colts are going to be cut down to the 53-man roster, of course, um, before they start their season September 8th against the Los Angeles Chargers, almost the San Diego Chargers. I still can't get used to that saying that, <laughs> of course. Uh, but Jake, we'll, we'll talk about the preseason a little bit here. Um, who stood out to you in camp and pre, uh, preseason? I know you said you went to camp a couple of days. I was there a good amount of days. Who was someone that stood out to you in camp and preseason? Yeah, camp and preseason, um, you know, kind of two different stories. I mean, because, you know, in, in preseason, I, I really liked what I saw from Deion Kane and Chad Kelly uh, recently. But, you know, Deion Kane was kind of quiet the first week. Um, of training camp, and then he he really caught on. And, you know, Chad Kelly obviously wasn't getting too many reps. Um, but if I had to point out two guys right now that I that, that are lasting in my head that I'm, I'm getting when you bring that up, the first two guys I'm, I'm thinking of right now are Chad Kelly and, and Deion Kane, and especially because, you know, those two guys had such low expectations. I know Deion Kane had the draft hype, but coming off of an ACL, I don't think too many people expected him to look this good. And in terms of Chad Kelly, I mean, people were blasting the signing. I mean, rightfully so. But this seemed like a camp body that was a favor for uh, Jim Kelly because Frank Reich and and Jim obviously are close. And Chad Kelly's done nothing but come in and been phenomenal. Not not necessarily in terms of his play only, but, you know, you you being at camp, you saw how early he was out there. You saw how late he was out there. He's come in and went above and beyond, I feel like what he's had to do to try to earn a spot on this roster with Andrew being gone, that becomes a lot, a lot more likely, but he was doing these things even before Andrew retired. He, he was out there with the, with the quarterbacks coach well before everyone else, he was leaving before everyone else or after everyone else. So I've just been really impressed with those two guys. I mean, and, and touching back on Deion Kane with his ACL injury, I mean, he's only been 12 months removed from that and he looks explosive. He looks big. He, he's shown pretty good hands. He's had a couple drops, but you know, this is his first real NFL action. Catching an NFL throw is a lot different than a college throw and he's got to get the rust off. But outside of that, I, I think he's just been exceptional. And those two guys have really, to me, stood out over the course of the preseason. Yeah. And you mentioned Kane and how he didn't do much to start the pre or the training camp. Maybe I think it was just like you said, to get that rust off and to get his feet wet, you know, he's got to get back on the NFL field. Like you said, he was gone for 12 months, so of course he's shined recently, and he's. I think it almost looks like he hasn't even lost any athletic ability. It doesn't even look like he had an ACL injury. He looks great, especially that touchdown he had against the Browns uh, last Saturday, um, making that juke move over the middle of the field. I don't even really think he's 
the drops that he's had have been really good plays by the defenders. I think of the the Bills touchdown. I think that was a hell of a play by the defender. Mm-hmm. And I think of that Browns game. Uh, the pretty high pass. It had a little bit of, a little bit of velocity behind it. I thought that was a pretty tough catch. If he would have made that catch, I'd been more impressed. If he would have made the catch, then disappointed if he would have dropped it, of course. But my two guys, I actually have two interior defenders. Um, one guy hasn't played much preseason at all, but Danico Autry has been – dude's been all over the place in the backfield in training camp. He was he, – he's been really good in the run stuff, run, run stopping and pass rush. Of course, led team in sacks last year. I didn't think much of the signing last year when Ballard – signed him I thought he was more of a rotational guy but then I remember watching him in the offensive line defensive line drills against the Browns guy was literally beating every one of the Browns offensive linemen every time and with very quick and elusive moves and I I think Danigo Ache is really gonna he's either gonna be really overlooked or he's gonna really shine this year because he's gonna play good this year I think and I think if it's not Justin Houston I think Danico Ache is gonna lead this team in sacks now that's probably gonna mm-hmm. be my bold take this year is Danico Autry will lead the sacks, sack department, or he'll be second. And another guy that's quietly, quietly been really good, but hasn't accumulated stats is Grover Stewart. The guy I remember against Buffalo, I think he had like four tackles and a half. Well, he was constantly in the backfield. That's another guy. And a lot of times, even when the play gets in the second level or in the secondary, I see Grover is running down there. He's not making a tackle per se. But he's one of those guys down there in the scrum, or he's you know one of the first guys down there to try to get the ball if the ball ends up on the ground. And I think Grover Stewart, with him being a big body, I thought he was more going to be the nose tackle guy, the run stuffer on third and short. But Grover might end up seeing his way onto some pass rush situations. Against the Browns, I saw him beat a couple of their offensive linemen. So I think Grover Stewart and Danico Archie have really played really, really well in preseason and in camp so far. Yeah, and in terms of guys, Autry especially, I mean, he was he was phenomenal last year. He's always been a really good run stopper, so the run stopping is no surprise. But, I mean, he put up nine sacks in 12 games. I mean, that's crazy for an interior lineman to begin with. But then you to cap it off, we didn't really have any one-on-one edge defenders to help him out. I mean, he, by the end of the season, was really our best pass rusher. And now you surround him with guys like uh, Kamoko Ture, who's looked good. Justin Houston, obviously, we know what he can do. I'm with you. I'm really excited on Autry, and and I wasn't in camp as much as you, but the first couple of days, he 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 was on Quentin Nelson. Now he he really there were some times where he made him look kind of bad, and I was just it, it was kind of in the back of my mind, like, well, is, is Quentin struggling? Is Autry looking this good? But I think you know what I've heard about what he did against Brown camp uh, against the Browns in camp has really just convinced me that he's he could be in for a breakout year. And in terms of Stewart, the one thing I noticed about him in camp was he looks a lot different. Um, he was a bigger guy last year, and he's really slimmed down, but he's a monster. Yeah, he I looks mean, a lot a quicker guy. now. Yeah, he, he's athletic for his size, and Ballard had said that when they drafted him. They said that he's a real athletic guy for his size, and this year he trimmed down quite a bit. So he could be in the same mold as, like you said, an Autry. He's, he's a natural run stuffer, but because of his strength and athleticism, like you said, he may become – a, a potential every down uh, defensive lineman in that rotation. They're not going to limit him to first or second down or rundowns because like you said, both of those guys have shown a real complete package. Yeah. And I think that defensive line as a whole is probably going to be the biggest jump position in, in all the position groups on the whole roster this year, just because it seems like Bowers just completely revamped that position over the last two years. You know, you think of, you know, 
bringing in Justin Houston, signed Danico Autry last year, uh, or drafting Ben Banigou and Gary Green and, you know, Kamoka Ture taking the next step. That that position could be very – it's going to be very important for the Colts. I think it might tip some games their way or it might tip games the other team's way, just depending on how they play sometimes. Yeah, and it's a huge credit to Chris Ballard. I mean, we talk about – all the time, how hard it is to find quality edge defenders and how hard it is to find pass rushers. And, you know, even in terms of what we had to do last season, in terms of create pressure, um, blitzing linebackers and things like that, I don't think we're going to have to do that this year nearly as much. And that's a huge credit to Chris Ballard and that scouting department to find guys that are natural pass rushers to allow us to organically face pressure, especially with the, the quarterbacks we're facing this year. We're not facing the Bills, Raiders, and all those guys back to back to back to back. So we're going to have to have games where the defensive line is going to have to win their battles because you're not going to beat Drew Brees if Darius Leonard has to blitz five times and Anthony Walker has to blitz. So I think it's really big that guys like Autry and Stewart are taking those steps and and catching our eye in camp. Of course. Uh, We'll we'll flip it over. Who's someone that has disappointed you so far? Um, in terms of disappointment, I mean, Jalen Collins is, is right at the top of my list. I mean, this is a guy that, that had a lot of pedigree, started in the Super Bowl. And, and we when we claimed him, I thought, man, this guy could really compete for, for some quality snaps here. And and part of it, too, is, is obviously the Colts have just done a phenomenal job of bringing in quality corners. But Jalen Collins just seems like he gets burned all the time. Um, it, it was in camp, and then it, it's kind of gone into preseason. He's had a couple moments. But at the top of my list right now, Jalen Collins has not looked really good at all. And then also, he's kind of an unsung guy. But Chris Ballard really raved about Josh Andrews, who, who's been uh, a guard in preseason, and he's looked atrocious. Um, yeah. I'm not really sure what Ballard is talking about. Now, he's, he's only been here since last year. But, I mean, it doesn't take a lot of rocket science to be able to push people off the line. And he hasn't been able to do anything well. Um, so he's been another guy, especially with mainly just because of how Ballard raved about him a couple of times off cue. Um, Josh Andrews has been a guy to me that I was really just like, wow, this is not at all the guy that, that Ballard talked about. It kind of reminds me actually of the Zach Banner situation where he, he was cut almost immediately because he was so bad. That's kind of what I'm surprised Josh Andrews is even still on the roster. Yeah, I'm going to expand on Josh Andrews. I think the whole backup offensive line has been very, very bad. And it's been so apparent to me that backup tackles, like if Costanzo or Braden Smith – goes down that might be the biggest drop off in any in talent on any position on a roster except for quarterback probably because we saw the raven clark and will barton and anthony garcia at some points and um, i'm gonna miss jamarcus webb those guys their play has been very very bad to start to be in in preseason it's just i it, it almost makes you hope that none of our starting offensive linemen get hurt because the drop-off is so big. And I remember Evan Bame, he played really, really good in replacement for Ryan Kelly last year. And, you know, in camp, he's been running mostly with the third team as the swing guard, swing, you know, center. And, you know, he hasn't played all that well. And we talk about Josh Andrews. He started in place for Ryan Kelly. I want to say the first and second weeks. Uh, he played a lot. And I think he's, he even started for Quentin Nelson in the third game. And he just looks so bad out there. And, you know, backup offensive linemen are hard to come by, so it's not like Ballard's going to be able to go out on the waivers and get one on September 1st. Uh, so it's going to be very interesting to see how Ballard cuts down that offensive lineman group because he loves the trench. He guys, he loves the guys in the trenches. So it's going to be interesting to see how many he keeps. I think last year they kept 
10, I want to say. Maybe they only cut down to nine this year just because of the lack of talent they have there. Yeah, they're going to have to scour the waiver wire because these guys aren't, aren't cutting it at all in terms of what I've seen in preseason. But, you know, it's kind of interesting. I mean, Quentin Nelson missed a game. Ryan Kelly missed a game. But the offensive line in general has just looked bad. And it, it's, it's hard to really put our finger on it because, you know, we know what Howard Mudd has done here before. And from what everyone says about Chris Strausser is that he's really got the best out of a lot of offensive linemen he's got his hands on. But this does not, even though those guys aren't all intact, and we know the offensive line, especially as a group that you have to communicate, have to be on page, but I just don't really see how even the starting offensive line has looked as poor as they look. I mean, when Marlon Mack is getting six carries for 10 yards, that that's really, really bad considering in the preseason guys aren't really doing anything crazy with twists and stunts and, you know, all those exotic kind of things defensive linemen do. We're just asking our guys to beat their guys off the ball. And, and yeah. to be fair, a little bit, our offensive line is more of an athletic line. You saw a lot with trap blocks last year, pulling, stretch plays. So our line isn't naturally the strongest line outside of maybe Nelson and Glowinski is, is kind of a bulldozer himself. But even still, I mean, for them to not be able to win hardly any of these battles in, in, in the preseason is something we're going to have to look at moving forward. Yeah, and I think mostly the, the lack of – Big runs. It, I, I'm gonna guess you're specifically talking about the running game. The it's just the lack of you know scheme and game plan that Reich and and uh, Sirianni have put on the uh, on the preseason. Like they're gonna show nobody anything in our offense, especially in the run game. Because I feel like the run game is probably the most you could show in preseason. I think just the lack of you know creativity that they're not gonna show in preseason, rightfully so. I think that's kind of you know hurt the offensive line. But of course. Like Ballard said in the first game at halftime, he said, we could call the most vanilla offense ever, but if you can't beat your man off the line, then that's a problem. And, you know, I think it's going to be a slight problem that this offensive line, you know, hasn't been producing in the run game. Of course, you talk about Howard Mudd. I think it's just a transition period. You know, you think of it like, you know, transitioning to a new coach, you know, a new head coach. You got to transition from, you know, Chris Strausser to Howard Mudd. Those are two different type of, you know, styles of coaches. You know, so it's going to, I think it's going to take some time for this offensive line to really get into peak form. Like we saw last year, how it, you know, we had to get Anthony Costanzo back and Ryan Kelly, of course. And then the second half of the year, that's when we really saw the offensive line take off and we saw the running game work and we saw Angelo Knight get sacked a lot. I don't, I don't expect Brissett to get sacked 10 times in a game, uh, but I, I think the offensive line, their better days are going to be in October, November. Than they're going to be in September and August or September yeah. and October. Yeah, make no mistake. I mean, I, I'm not panicking, and like I said, this is a this is a line that really, from what I noticed last season, depends on athleticism a lot. They did a lot in terms of pulling and, and stretch plays. Like I said, trap blocks, um, and and they haven't played together. And like you said, they have a new coach, so it's not anything that anyone should be worried about. There's still a lot of variables that need to be figured out before anyone presses a panic button. But it was something I was watching, and I mentioned the run game specifically because that's been Reich's calling card all this offseason, almost since the season was over. He was disappointed with the way we ran the ball at Kansas City, and that's kind of been a pounding point for him since the end of the season. And so it's just kind of surprising to me to go into the preseason and our run game has looked as bad as it's looked. So I'm just interested to see how that changes throughout the course of the season. And like you said, I have confidence in this group. I think they'll be fine. It's just something that I was surprised to see 
Marlon Mack and some of those other guys have such limited success behind this line so far in preseason. Yeah, I, I agree. And I think one thing, I think it's getting slightly overlooked. Uh, the Colts, I think, were number one in third down conversions last year, around 50%, I want to say. We saw in the Kansas City game, they didn't get a first down until the second quarter or you know, late into the second quarter when they went on that drive at the end of the first half. And then we've seen in preseason, and I know it's still a lack of play calling and game planning, but the offense is still not converting a lot of third downs. I'm just wondering, I'm hoping that's not any indication of what's going to happen this year because, you know, third down is third downs the money down, is, as people say. So the Colts are going to win a lot of games, you know, if they're going to be, you know, over 40 or over 40, 45 percent in the third down category. So that's just something I've noticed and I, I'm kind of worried about a little bit, but I'm not too concerned about it. And that's that's also why that's also why they let go of the Guglielmo was they felt like they got whooped and they did. There was a lot of talk about you know the receivers not getting separation, luck looked bad, the defense got torched early, but that offensive line got really destroyed by Kansas City's defensive line. And Frank Reich said he noticed a lot in that game. And you know if we're being honest about the offensive line last season, as good as they were protecting luck, we had some feast or famine run games ourselves. This wasn't an elite running offensive line. They had their games where we struggled to get it going on the ground. So that is something that, at least for me, they're going to have to prove that they can do on a week-in and week-out basis, allow us to run the ball and grind teams down. Because Reich has said himself, he didn't feel like they did it enough last year. And especially, like you said, in that loss to Kansas City, it really culminated and, and it reared its head. And the offensive line's biggest weaknesses were really exposed in that game. Yep. So we'll move on now to games that count. Uh, we'll talk about the season expectations for the Annapolis Colts. Um, you feel with the Angel Luck retirement, do you still think they're a Super Super Bowl contender? No, I, I can't until I see Brissett take the steps necessary to be a quality starter in terms of just instead of just you know a game manager, a decent starter. I, I don't see us being a Super Bowl contender because you can't go up against guys like Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes and expect to win if your quarterback play is not at least adequate. We've seen, and, and you know, I applaud Colts fans for being so optimistic about Brissett this year and, and the roster around him, but we've seen Andrew Luck over the years beat quality rosters by himself. We know firsthand what quarterback play is going to do, and so Brissett has to show me that he can be a quality starter before I'm ready to put this team on a level to where they could be legitimately competing for a Super Bowl. So, But do you think they're a playoff contender still? Yeah, I, I think that this team's still going to compete for the playoffs, and primarily because the division isn't that great. Um, you know, Houston is is probably the favorite right now, and it's a team that lost their general manager. They have struggles on the offensive line. They're on the verge of potentially stra- trading a star player. That's a team in a lot of uh, in a lot of uh, question marks right now surrounding that entire franchise. You know, we know what's going on in the quarterback situation in in Tennessee. They have a quality roster. Um, you know, Jacksonville also has a lot of question marks on what they're going to do this year. So I do think the Colts are going to be in contention for the playoffs. And, and also our roster is is very strong around Jacoby. So I do think that they're going to be at least contending for a wild card spot in the division. Yeah, I, I would say they're not Super Bowl contenders anymore. I still think they can make the playoffs. And depending on how the Houston Texans play, because I think there are real challengers in the division, I still think the Colts can win a division. I feel like this division could end up being like the NFC East back in the day when it was only, you know, it was a lot, almost every team was eight and eight or, you know, all the teams were like nine and seven and seven, and nine, like 
fringe 500 teams. I think that's how the AFC South could end up turning out to be. You know, the Colts were basically the preemptive favorite with Andrew Luck. And now that Brissett is here, you know, the Colts are projected to win, you know, nine or 10 games or so. And, you know, Texas, of course, will still be fairly good. And, you know, Jaguars, Titans will be very feisty. And so I think this team is not Super Bowl contenders. I think it's still, we could, you know, they could still be Super Bowl contenders. We have to see what Brissett's going to do with this offense. But they're still yeah, very he, much in the running in the division. Yeah, he's the X factor because the luck retirement really puts all of these teams really, in my opinion, on even ground. Um, you know, Jacksonville has a great defense. Tennessee has a roster kind of like ours. They're they're pretty deep and, and talented, um, but they have a, a quarterback question, a bigger quarterback question than we do, but they have quarterback questions. And then Houston, outside of their couple stars, I mean, that's a roster that's really on the decline. I mean, they are really dependent on this on the success of Watt and Hopkins to get it going. And that's why I'm not as sold on Houston as a lot of people are. I really like Watson's talent, but I'm just there. There's just not as many supporting cast pieces there as there were two or three years ago. And, you know, they've really struggled drafting over the last few years. And because of that, you saw what happened to that offense when Hopkins injured his shoulder uh, in the, in the wildcard game, they only put up seven points. I mean, so if that team suffers any sort of injury to either one of those guys, I think they're really going to struggle to compete just because their offensive line is, is very bad and they don't have a great secondary and their linebacking core is slowly being depleted. Um, you know, outside of guys like Merciless and Watt and uh, Hopkins, they, they're struggling and they just lost from Lamar Miller also, which is a big blow. So that's a team that I'm really interested to see how they perform next year because there's, there's a big question mark there for me in terms of the Houston Texans. Yeah, that was actually what I was about to say. Everyone forgot that Lamar Miller tore his ACL Saturday night because of Andrew Luck's retirement. And I think that's a pretty big blow. You're going to go from Lamar Miller, who I think is a pretty good running back, to Duke Johnson, and I don't even know who their backup is at this point. But to go from Lamar Miller to Duke Johnson, who is not necessarily a every-down back, that's a pretty big drop-off, especially with that offensive line. You never know. And I think the Texans are pretty top-heavy. You know, you got Hopkins and Watson. They're, they're you know, top ten that they're, they're – their positions um they had lamar miller and duke johnson who were fairly good running backs they got they still have Jadavion Clowney as of right now and jj watt pretty good defensive end linebackers and of course of course they got whitney merciless uh but outside of that like not many very many name brand name brand big name guys on their roster and yeah and in terms of them let's not overlook the fact that they just fired their general manager i mean this is a this is a franchise that's in a lot of flux they don't know what's going to happen to their head coach after this season. The players don't know what's going to happen to them. So that that's then that's a big factor. I mean, when players can't focus and just go play, that can really shroud a season. You saw what happened to Jacksonville last year when they had the, their players acting up and had kind of outside noise cloud that locker room. They went from a team that you know was a Super Bowl contender the year before to only winning a handful of games. So that's another interesting thing for Houston as well. So we'll move on. Uh, Specifically back to the Colts, of course. Who's a breakout player or players that will have a good season for the Colts and, you know, possibly break out? I'll go one on each side of the ball. I really like uh, Kamoko Ture. I like what I've seen from him. I was kind of concerned after the first preseason game, but I, I really like, obviously he's a great speed rusher, but I like what I've seen in terms of his hand usage. He's done a lot more in terms of the run game. I think that he's a guy that could compete. Last year he was on pace for about eight or nine sacks before his body broke down. I think he could reach that number this year. And if he can complement Justin Houston and, and reach that number, that would be a big, 
big, uh, big help for us. And then on the offensive side of the ball, I'm going to go with Devin Funches just because I feel like uh, he's going to be a guy that Jacoby Brissett's going to rely on a lot over the middle um, short routes. He's going to be really a guy that, that can kind of be a security blanket type for him, make the tough catches over the middle. So I really like Funches in that number two role. I like what I've seen from him. Um, obviously he's big and physical, but he, he has some speed too. We saw he caught a crossing route uh, in the game against Chicago and really turned it up the field. I was kind of impressed by the speed I saw from him. So I think that with, with Brissett needing a guy like that, that can, that can catch the underneath passes. I think uh, Funches is going to play a big role in this offense next year. Yeah, I think Kamoko Ture, I don't, I don't really know if he'll break out necessarily. If he becomes a consistent pass rusher, that's going to be very big because um, uh, we don't know how long Jabal Sheard is going to be out. So if you know Kamoko Ture can end up being that consistent pass rusher, we could have Justin Houston flip sides on defense and become that run setter while Ture becomes a speed rusher and you know bump Al Kadim Muhammad to more of a reserve role. I like Al-Kadim Muhammad. I think he could be a very good player for us this year. Uh, he could end up replacing Jabal Sheard after the season, I think. But my two guys, uh, one I mentioned earlier, of course, Danico Archer. I think he's just going to I think he's gonna ball out this year. I think he's going to have nine sacks again this year. I mean, he was a Pro Bowl alternate last year. I think he'll get a Pro Bowl, um, a Pro Bowl this year outright. I think he's going to make the Pro Bowl. I think he's going to be probably arguably our second-best defensive lineman outside of Justin Houston, of course. And then a guy that I've been raving about all off season, all off season, all training camp. He's been making plays all over the field. Guy, it's super exciting. Uh, Rockyson, that guy. I think he's all right. I think honestly, he's locked down that. I, I'd say third cornerback spot, technically, but he's going to be that opposite corner of, of uh, Pierre Desir. I think he's locked down that position. I think Matt Eberflus is going to run Quincy Wilson. As the fourth corner, the guy you're going to put bring in in like diamond nickel packages that guards the tight end and running backs. Because so I think he's very good at that. So I, th I think if Rock can learn how to not play so physical past five yards, Rocky Sin's going to end up being one of the best corners that the Colts have had in a very, very long time. And that's not to discredit Pierre Desir, but I just think Rock is just that he's just that athlete. And we've seen him in person how built he is and how big he is. Like that guy looks like he could dominate a football game. Yeah, he's very impressive. And, and you know, circling back to Ture, one of the reasons I, I mentioned him as a breakout guy is partly because of our schedule. I mean, when you play the quarterbacks that we have to face, we're going to have speed packages out there more to try to defend against the pass. And I think that we're going to lean on him a little bit more than most people think, and we're going to need him to really spell. Remember when Frank Reich and Chris Ballard talked about Justin Houston? They want him to play about 60% of the snaps. And with the guys that we're playing this year, we really need that other edge rusher to step up. And I'm really hoping that Kamoko Ture could do that because having that guy that can put pressure on these quarterbacks and get them off our spot could really sway our record one game or two one way or the other. Of course. So we'll move on to listener questions of the show. Um, we'll start with Ryan Kirby. Uh, question for the show. This whole Angel Luck thing has got a lot of fans worried and Screaming tank, uh, tank in the season, of course. Um, can we talk about the positives of this and what this could mean for the future of Brissett and the Indianapolis Colts? Yeah, I mean, obviously there's a lot of positives to take. I mean, even with Andrew Luck retiring, I mean, I don't think this franchise could have been put in a better position to handle this type of retirement. I mean, when we have the type of leadership that we have, starting with Chris Ballard and down to Frank Reich, you saw these guys handled this with complete class. 
I mean, an, a, a complete one, 180 from what we see, saw from the old regime where there was a lot of finger pointing and blaming. I mean, these guys are staying focused and they're keeping this roster focused and the roster is extremely talented. I mean, we've seen these teams over the last 10 years with mediocre quarterbacks make Super Bowl runs. And I'm not saying we will this year, but with the way our roster is developing, you look at teams like the Eagles, you look at teams like the Seahawks from a couple years ago. Their quarterbacks weren't great, even though the, uh, the Ravens with Joe Flacco, their quarterbacks weren't great, but their rosters were great. And I feel like that's where our roster is headed moving forward. And as far as just for set, uh, specifically, you had mentioned in terms of giving him a contract extension, uh, we may be able to get him on a bargain deal. If he doesn't turn out to be an elite quarterback, maybe he allows us to sign him for mid-tier money and open up things other places. So that could be one positive in Andrew Luck not being here. You're kind of just reaching for it here. But Andrew Luck gets a blank check. I mean, and we saw Dak Prescott demanding $40 million. Andrew Luck could realistically have gotten $40 million a year and nobody would have blinked. Jacoby Brissett may allow us to spend money in other places on this roster. But yeah, I think, I think there's still a lot of positives. I mean, this doesn't, there's no reason to tank for any reason because we have a very young, talented roster and a very good front office and coaching staff. Yeah, and I'll, I'll compare this to 2017. The roster is miles better. I literally wrote this down. The roster is miles better than 2017. The coaching is miles better in 2017. Uh, Boward, even though he's a great GM, he's had to learn over, over the last couple of years. He's gotten better as a GM. Uh, and, of course, Brissett, with him being on the last year of his rookie deal, he's going to be very motivated to play his best ball so he can get paid either by the Colts, of course, or by someone else. So, And like we mentioned, the Colts are you know, kind of wrote off by the media, so maybe the whole team is just going to rally behind Brissett and you know, play their best ball, and they're going to be super motivated to, kick, to win a lot of games, of course. Um, and I just think this Colts team is just – like you say, it's just so much better roster-wise, depth-wise, all around. It's just a whole lot better. Like like we said, you know, this team went from 11 wins to when Angel Luck wasn't going to play in 2017 to possibly only win like two games, which they ended up winning four. And then we think of this year where, you know, the Colts are going to be basically a French 500 team to maybe 10 wins when we thought the Colts could be like 11, 11 12-win team. You know, that's only a couple of games off. So that just shows how much – better the roster is and Brissett's like we said Brissett came in eight days before the regular season started this this time around is different he's been in the system for two full years this year he's had every first team rep basically since you know August 3rd he's had every first team rep he's basically prepped like starter so like it's not like he's going to be thrown into an unknown situation he's going to have this playbook down he's going to have the system down everything like that Brissett's that's why I'm so big on Brissett's going to have a big year this year, and the Colts are not going to be as bad as the media think thinks we're going to be going to have this year. And in terms of the tanking, one more thing on it: when you have a general manager like Chris Ballard, tanking does you really no good because you want to tank if you're a poorly run team. I mean, Chris Ballard drafted Darius Leonard in the second round, Marlon Mack in the fourth round. I mean, the only real blue chip guy he drafted at the time was Quentin Nelson. I mean, the guys that have developed into quality players on this roster were found later in the draft. So tanking does us really no good unless we're talking about trying to get another quarterback. But this roster already is set up for the future, and we have a ton of draft capital moving forward. I just don't really see any advantage for our team tanking this year. Yeah, and I just simply think of it like this. 
are you really going to walk up to Darius Leonard and Quentin Nelson and Frank Reich and tell them, we're going to tank this year. We're going to be completely Absolutely. bad. They're going to look at you in the face. They might walk out of the building and be like, "I'm no, I'm not going to do this. Or they're going to look you in the face and question your question your manhood almost. They're going to – they're those guys are ingrained to not take to not intentionally lose. Those guys want to go out there and win every game they they can. And that's one thing Chris Bauer talked about is the fiber of that locker room. This locker room is full of winners now. There is no more of the of the old regime here. These guys are all wired to win. They're self motivators. They're guys that want to be great, and they're not guys that are going to make excuses. And they're certainly not going to want to tank just because there might be a better quarterback prospect in the top ten that fans feel like we should get. So moving on to the next question from my good friend Eric Seaman of Roster Guy. He asked, which five or ten players are on the bubble to make the roster this year for you? Roster guys on the bubble. Well, we had talked about the cornerbacks, and, and one guy I feel like that will make it is Chris Milton because he, again, is is our gunner, and he's looked outstanding again in preseason in that role. Um, another guy that I was really impressed with in, in the third preseason game, and he just kind of popped up for me, was uh, Sharkandrick West. Um, I felt like he ran really well, and, and with the injuries to Wilkins and Williams, he may be a guy that sneaks onto this roster, even if it's just for a couple weeks of the season. But those are a couple guys for me um, that I feel like could make it at the back end of this roster. Yeah, I have, I had, I had an extended list. I had Milton and West too, but I also had um, Jonathan Williams when we saw we saw him in camp a little bit, a couple times, and then we saw him in the preseason game. He's looked pretty good, of course. He hurt his ribs against the Browns, so that's kind of disappointing. But I think he can at least – I think he's going to make the roster. I think the Colts end up keeping four running backs like they did last year. Uh, I think he makes the roster. Um, I think Evan Bame, with his you know, being, his ability to play a lot of offensive line, lineman positions, he'll end up carving out a role on the start – not starting the starting lineup, but you know, the, back, the backup. If, you know, if Ryan Kelly goes down, we can insert you know, Evan Bame. Um, uh, yeah, with Charkendrick West, I thought it was more of a camp body. But then again, I'm thinking, well, this guy could play a little bit. He played pretty good for the Chiefs, and he's got that connection with Chris Boward. And I was with my grandpa, and I was thinking, wow, Charkendrick West is getting a lot of touches. I think he had 10 rushes or so, and he had five catches. Like, to have 15 touches in a playoff game, that's a lot, especially for a running back. Yeah, he didn't drop any of his targets either, so he's a well-rounded guy. Saw him a couple, make a couple of nice uh, pass-blocking assignment uh, plays as well. I thought he played really well in that game. So for just a half of football, I mean, I, I thought he did really good, came right in here, gave us a spark in the running game that we didn't have any of the other two preseason games, including Marlon Mack. So I was really impressed with what I saw from Wes. Yep. So moving on to the next question, uh, a listener asks, which player on this roster will be the biggest X, X factor this year? And I think I already know your answer. Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to go with, with Malik Hooker, actually, uh, on the defensive side of the ball. Um, I know Jacoby Brissett's going to be the guy offensively, but Malik Hooker was a guy that in his rookie season was changing games for us. You know, you had mentioned uh, being at some of those early games. I was at the 49ers game, and Malik Hooker had an interception in the red zone that almost changed the game. And one of the things that this team's really going to have to do this year, especially defensively, is force turnovers. And nobody does that better on this defense than Malik Hooker. So if Malik Hooker can get back to that where he had, I think, four interceptions in his first seven starts, he only had two last year because he wasn't tested, but he looks more explosive in camp. Um, he, he looks faster. He looks like he's getting his feet back under him more. But I think that with this offense and, and with Brissett, you're going to kind of 
want to ease him in a little bit um, to the starting role. I think that Malik Hooker is going to play a big part in, in whether or not this team is able to stack wins together because I think he's our biggest X factor in terms of producing turnovers, which Chris Ballard talks a lot about. Yeah, and just playing it, just just the quarterbacks we're going to play this year, like Breeze and Roethlisberger and Rivers, just to name the just to name three. Malik Hooker's going to have to be on top of his game. Like like you said, I think he only got targeted nine times last year. Um, of course, he had those two interceptions, I believe. So Malik Hooker's going to going to have to keep playing good. He's going to be a important important piece of that defense. And I think he said it, or someone said it in the Colts brass. He said that if Malik Hooker is not making plays, then the whole defense is doing what it's doing their job. And of course, that's I could have not have thought of better analysis to to think of Malik Hooker because if that guy is making every play, that means the that means the the opposing offense is getting the ball twenty yards downfield, which is of course that's not what you want on the Colts side of the ball. And one thing else about Malik Hooker is I think he's going to be in more positions. I know he talks about not being tested, but when you have pass rushers that can get to a quarterback and put pressure on them, they make Aaron throws. And so I think that with having an improved defensive line this season. I think Malik Hooker will be in a much better position to get some Aaron passes, to have some misreads. And and one thing he did at Ohio State really well was bait quarterbacks. You know, he was able to cover the entire field back there by himself. And quarterbacks got in their mind, and you'll get this with the top flight quarterbacks in this league. They think they can make every throw. And if Malik Hooker can kind of be, they call him kind of the boogeyman because everyone was scared to throw at him at Ohio State. But if he can be that kind of guy to put doubt in these quarterbacks' minds, again, that could swing games big time for us because we're, we're facing a gauntlet of quarterbacks. And, and with Jacoby Brissett starting, we're going to be on the short end of the quarterback stick. So I think Malik Hooker, in terms of, like you said, his ability on a down-to-down basis to cover effectively back there and also to force turnovers, I think is going to be big in terms of determining how successful this team is against those top-flight quarterbacks. Well, I kind of forgot how much – ground Malik covers because last year we were you know of course you ran a lot of that cover too so he's only asked to cover one side of the field but I remember against the Browns last week um or it might have been the Bear yeah it was the Browns when Malik was a single high safety I think he was on the right hash and the quarterback ended up throwing the left hash it was the Marvel tail pass interference which I put in air quotes because I don't know if that was pass interference but I just remember I just remember that quarterback throwing it in the air and I just see Malik Hooker coming out of nowhere and he almost had the interception one-handed. I think if he would have went up two hands, he probably would have got it. But just to see him go from the right hash all the way to the sideline in a matter of two or three seconds, that just shows the range he has, and that's kind of what you'd need from a safety like that. And seeing him, that's that was Ohio State Malik Hooker. When I watched the games on him, they put him almost exclusively back there by himself, which I thought was just amazing. Even for you know a guy as rangy as him, to put him back there, they he was on he was doing that against Clemson against Deshaun Watson and was breaking up passes in the end zone as a single high safety. And if he can get back to that kind of range and speed, we can do even more damage inside the shorter and intermediate routes because it allows us to bring more guys down and be more creative with blitzes or coverages and things like that. So he can really change the entire landscape of what this defense looks like if he's able to cover back there either by himself or with minimal help. He changes a lot. He's a really special player. And my biggest X factor, I think the whole defensive line, and I've kind of hinted at this earlier, I think this whole defensive line could flip games. If we're, you know, if we're getting sacks, getting teams in the third long, and, you know, that's flipping field position, that could really help our offense. Like you said, Malik's going to have to create turnovers. I think this team is going to have to help this defense 
or this this the defense is going to have to help the offense with you know getting short fields for Brissett to get this offense you know getting in the end zone. Like Brissett is, I don't think he's that quarterback that can consistently go eighty yards every drive. We're going to have to give give him a short field you know once or twice a game you know to beat a lot of these elite level teams like Bree like Drew Brees and Philip Rivers and you know Matt Ryan. So I think the defensive line, if they can get if they can get constant pressure on the quarterback with just four and they could get into teams in third and long, that will be very important for the Colts, and that could swing them some wins our way. Yeah, and that, that's a great point. I mean, every every good team in this league that, that's that's a legitimate playoff contender has good either offensive line play or defensive line play. You have to be able to pressure these guys because I had talked about Aaron throws from Malik Hooker, but those things don't happen if those guys don't get home. And that was my one caveat with this defense last year. They had to create pressure with guys like Darius Leonard and Kenny Moore. I mean, Kenny Moore led this team in sacks in the playoffs. That can't happen for you to be consistent week in and week out. And that's why the Justin Houston addition is so big. And that's why Danico Autry showing up in camp is so big. And seeing Kamoko Ture show up in, in preseason and show the improvements in preseason is so important because this schedule is completely different from last season. And the defensive line is going to have to be able to organically create pressure to make these quarterbacks uncomfortable and force some turnovers. So we'll move on to the next question from Robbie Gibbons. Um, he asked, what size, what size gold jacket is Brissett going to have to wear? Or what, what, what size gold jacket is Brissett <laughs> going to have to get in the hall, for his uh, future Hall of Fame induction? <laughs> I'm thinking extra large at least. I mean, it would big have to guy. be extra large, right? I mean, yeah, he's, he's a big guy, at, yeah. you know. I mean, if I was him, I would get it a size bigger because if he if he ends up in Canton, that's a that's a big big accomplishment taking over for Andrew Luck and you know walking your way into Canton. But I mean, hey, crazier things have happened. I mean, we saw what Steve Young did, and you know, I mean, it's it's funny he brings that up because I mean he hasn't even started a game under this regime yet. But I mean, and that's what's great about it. The sky's the limit for this. Uh, to use a Chuck Pagano cliche, the sky's the limit for this roster, and you know, Jacoby Brissett's really going to be the igniter for all of it. So if, if he gets into the hall of fame, he's going to have to at least wear a two X because that's a big, that's a big, big accomplishment for him. If he's able to pull that off. See, here's the thing that wasn't even a serious question. This is a serious question here. What two players on offense must step up um, with the Andrew Luck retirement and now Brissett coming in and what two players need to have career years in order to help ensure Brissett's success. Two guys. Well, one guy that jumps off immediately is Marlon Mack. I think the the running game for this team is going to be huge, and obviously the offensive line is dependent on that. But you know, Mack has shown the propensity to make big plays. Um, you know, not only in the running game but in the passing game. You know, he's a well-rounded running back, and, it, and he's a real threat. And we need him to be able to take off, uh, take off the pressure from Jacoby, and and you know, draw that defense in, create some doubt, and that'll really, really help Brissett and this offense moving forward. And the second guy, I feel like Eric Ebron really needs to show that last year wasn't a fluke. And I feel like that Andrew Luck was was really a key in his turnaround because of how accurate and how good his throws are. But we really need Eric Ebron, especially in the red zone. I mean, this this Jacoby Brissett is not a guy that had too much red zone success, but Eric Ebron and him connected in that preseason game. And Eric Ebron is going to be a real X factor for this team over the middle. He's just really impossible to cover when you have all these guys running around on the outside. But I really think that he's going to be a guy that has to show that last year wasn't a fluke and that he can be a consistent X factor threat that teams have to plan for week in and week out. 
Yeah, I actually have Devin Funches as a guy that has to step up. Uh, we saw it a little bit in the preseason where he ran a lot of shallow routes. I don't know if that's going to be Paris Campbell's role when he comes back, or if it's going to, or if that's what we're going to see in the regular season from Devin Funches. But I think Funches and really Ebron they have to be more consistent pass catchers. They're going to have to be guys that you know have their catch rate over sixty percent. I know those guys are below or below sixty percent. They're going to have to step up their game and make sure they're more reliant in the pass catching role. If Brissett's going to you know have confidence to go to them. You know, in, in situations when T.Y. Hilton's doubled up or Jack Doyle's not open or, you know, Deion Kane is, you know, covered up, has good coverage on him. Uh, so I think Funches and Ebron are two guys that have to step up offensively for Brissett. Um, and two, but I think two guys that are going to have careers off of Brissett's success, T.Y. Hilton's going to be very, very motivated from the Angelic retirement. He's going to come out. I think, I don't know if he'll have 10 touchdowns this year, but I think he'll have about seven, eight touchdowns, which would be around his career high. I think around maybe 1,500 receiving yards this year. Uh, I don't know if I'm blowing gas or what I am, but I just think Bruce, I just think T.Y. Hilton's going to have a big, big year because he was so heavily targeted when Brissett was the quarterback in 2017. And I think, and I think Anthony Costanzo, I, I think with him you know, being fully healthy and coming back, I think he's going to be another guy that will end up being – he'll have a great career year and he'll end up getting paid hopefully by the Colts this next offseason. Yeah, T.Y. Hilton's an interesting one because, like you said, he really was targeted a lot by Brissett the last time. I just wonder if the amount of targets will kind of spatter around a little bit with Reich being here. Uh, but that is an interesting one. I, I did Really where he could be a career year in his touchdowns. Um, I've always wanted to see his touchdowns kind of go up a little bit. So that will be interesting to see. But in, another guy I thought of is Jack Doyle. I mean, Jack Doyle was another guy that was a heavy security blanket for him. And, and you talk about... Devin Funches being underneath Jack Doyle is really our guy that's been the reliant one uh, with that over the years. So we really need him to stay healthy and produce the way he has the last few years when he's been healthy because Brissett relied on him a lot. Also, I think I'd seen uh, between Doyle and Hilton, that was around 47% of Brissett's targets. So he's comfortable with those guys and knows those guys. But yeah, I really like the T Y Hilton. That's a really bold one. So move on to the last question. Uh, Nick Malilo asks, what surprise player do you think will make the 53-man roster? Um, I'm going to go with Hale Hentges. I mean, he's kind of a guy that had caught fire for a couple weeks and fell off, but I haven't seen anything. I mean, he hasn't lit the world on fire, which is what I think Colts fans are hoping for, but he's done everything that I saw. I mean, he made a nice in- inline block on a on a, a, a rushing touchdown against the Bears. Uh, he's caught pretty much everything. He had that kind of interception stolen from him which is kind of a bad play, but you know, he, he really showed the same things in camp in the preseason. And and I think that the Colts, especially now with, with Brissett starting are going to need more blockers. They're going to need more full faceted, reliable guys. And I think Hench just kind of fits that role a little bit better than Ross Travis. And we already have Mo Ali Cox. We already have Eric Ebron and a plethora of athletic receivers. So I think Ross Travis's value shrinks a lot in terms of that and I've been pretty impressed with Henches in the preseason especially with with the blocking aspect yeah I think Henches is going to end up extending that undrafted free agent streak that the Colts have I think it'll be up to 21 or 22 years now but going into the training camp I was like man I don't know if anybody can but after watching Henches really really good run blocker of course like you mentioned and I think in camp he only dropped maybe one or two passes and he's looked really good catching the ball in preseason, and I think that play in Chicago, I think that was just a really good play by the DB. Re- Reggie Bush, I think that's his name, or 
I can't remember what his first yeah, name is, but yeah, he that he made a really good play, and he's actually one of those rotational safeties that the Bears play a lot. My grandpa told me so. Um, I think that was just a really good play. I, I'm not going to fault Hinches for that play, of course, uh, but I think Hinches he'll be the fourth tight end on the 53 man roster, but I think he's going to carve out that Ryan Hewitt role. You know, when Ryan Hewitt was in the game, he was primarily the to block because that was his best attribute. And I think that's what that's will end up being what Hale Hinches does this year. Because, of course, we want Jack Doyle and Eric Ebron out there for the illusion that it's going to be a run or a pass. Uh, but when, but we need that guy that's going to come in and we know is going to do a really good job in the run blocking. And I don't think it's Ross Travis. And I think Hinches is a little bit better than Moali Cox in the run blocking. And I think, I think the Colts are probably going to want to extend – Allie Cox's role in the offense in the pass game. So to add Hale Hinches as the H-back, sort of, I think that's how he'll carve out his role on the 53-man roster. Yeah, I agree. So that will wrap up today's episode. I uh, appreciate everyone for sending in the questions. Uh, we'll try to do that every one week or so, um, depending on how the schedules look and how much we we talk about each game. Of course, we only got about a week left. Uh, thankfully, the preseason is, preseason is over now. Roster cuts are about on the on the way. We'll have an episode about that. Uh, make sure you guys check out the merch store. We have that new listing. Uh, I'll leave the leap, link in the description, of course. Uh, make sure you leave a rate, review, subscribe, of course. And we ho- hope you have a good rest of the night.